Christmas Eve. <laughs> Good to see you all here. Uh, hopefully everyone has uh, a wonderful time with, uh, with their family and, um, uh, and things like that. We just uh, thank you so much uh, for being here with us this morning. It was, it was several years ago, I think it was, it was about a decade ago, um, but scientists said that there was an asteroid that was headed toward Earth. And the size of this asteroid was significant enough that if it hit Earth, then it would cause uh, quite a bit of damage. Nothing catastrophic or anything, but it would, uh, it, it would, it would cause uh, significant damage. But it, but it missed the Earth, uh, scientists said. But no one would have known that. We wouldn't have known that. No one on Earth would have known that unless we had some kind of special equipment, special revelation uh, to tell us that there was an asteroid coming to Earth. Uh, several uh, centuries ago, Lewis and Clark, when they went on their expedition out west around, I think it was 1804 to 1806, they went to this Pacific coast, uh, they discovered around 122 species of animals that were unknown uh, to, uh, to the known world at that time. Things like grizzly bears, uh, bighorn sheep, uh, prairie dogs, if you've, if you've seen pictures of those or seen them in person. My father-in-law and I went out west on a mule deer hunt last year, and we saw uh, prairie dogs everywhere, uh, cute, cute little things. Uh, but uh, no one knew that those, uh, in, in the known world, no one knew that those animals existed, even though they did in reality. And likewise, uh, back in 1985, there was a submarine called the Deep Rover that took a deep dive. I think it was around 1,500 feet into the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and they were, it, it was uh, to, um, to, to collect samples and, and, and look at the marine life there. Uh, but one of the scientists that was on that submarine said that he saw these creatures that were like 120 feet long that were semi-transparent and had thousands of tentacles and dozens of stomachs. Creatures that he didn't even know exist. And they, all, they started surrounding the submarine and he thought he was going to be eaten. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but he didn't. So the point of all that there is that there are things around us, things going on that we can't see. They're there, but they're shielded to our sight. They're shielded to our vision. But they are 100% true, 100% there. There are things going on around us that we can't see. Things that we, if we were to know that they were there, if we were to see them, we would need special revelation. We would need someone to tell us that these things are there. What I want to do this morning is look at a passage from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6 that gives us special revelation, that reveals to things to us that are hidden from our sight, things that are 100% real, things that we can't see, but things that are revealed to us within God's Word, a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, uh, and allows us to see what's really going on. So Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, that's where we're going to be this morning, we're going to be in, uh, in the New American Standard Version. Uh, this, this passage, it's, it's a very interesting text. It, you know, uh, this, this time of year we're thinking about 
Christmas and Jesus' birth. We don't know when Jesus was born, of course. Uh, but it's a, it's a time where we're thinking about such things. And we see in, in this verse, in this, in this passage in Revelation chapter 12, kind of a, a different perspective on the birth of the Messiah. Uh, we see here that it reveals something to us, something dark, something sinister that's looming in the background of this narrative and in the background of our own lives as well. But it also is a text not only, uh, not only to uh, scare us to death or, <laughs> or, or make us fearful, but it's a passage that's intended to give us hope. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let's look at verse 1, verses 1 and 2, if you will, from the New American Standard. Verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was pregnant, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. So in our text, we're introduced to a woman who's pregnant. She's in pain. She's about to give birth. Uh, now, if you've studied the book of Revelation before, you know that there's a lot of symbolism uh, in, in, this, uh, in, in this book. And, and so this, this woman, there's all kinds of interpretations on what this, uh, who this woman is. Uh, the Roman Catholic view is that this is Mary. Uh, most likely it's not Mary. Most likely it's the people of God in general. Israel, Old, Old Testament Israel, and God's people, the church today. Uh, and and so, so, it's, so it's a symbol of God's people. We see that the woman in this passage, specifically Israel here, she's in pain. She's in pain of, of childbearing. She, and and this, is, this is a metaphor that, that's symbolizing the, the long, uh, patient uh, in endurance uh, and, and suffering of God's people, anticipating the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the chosen one that would, uh, that, that, that would redeem God's people, that would um, give salvation to the nations. Uh, and, and, you know, you just think about this pain and anticipation. Uh, I think of the prophet Elijah, you know, in 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elijah cries up to heaven, you know, God, it seems like I am the only one. I am the only one, it seems like, who hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. The only one that is dedicated to you and your cause and your mission. We see that pain in that anguish, that anguish of almost loneliness here in this text. Waiting, waiting, waiting. For the one to come, for the Messiah to come, for the Redeemer to come. We know within our life that it's, it's difficult to be patient, isn't it? It's difficult to be patient. It's difficult to wait on the Lord. And sometimes God requires us to wait and to wait and to wait for a significant period of time. But when we wait upon the Lord and when we trust in Him, not in our own timing, but in His timing, the wait is well worth it. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we see within this text um, that, the, 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 that there's a waiting period. There's, there's this waiting and this suffering. But the passage, what it reveals to us is that the waiting, the anticipation is 
over. The waiting is over. The moment has come. God's people is about to give birth to the child. To the child. To the Redeemer. To the Messiah. To the one who's going to redeem Israel and save humanity from their sins. However, there stands something looming in the background a dark, mysterious figure that is opposed to God's purposes and opposed to God's will. Let's keep reading in our text in verse 3. Verse 3 in the first part of verse 4. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns And on his heads were seven crowns, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and hurled them to the earth. So not only are we introduced to a woman, God's people, and not only are we introduced to a child, the Messiah, the Redeemer, but we're introduced to, in this text, a dragon, this mysterious, sinister figure Notice with me the description of this dragon. Notice how John in his revelation describes him. He says, this dragon has seven heads. It has ten horns, seven crowns, and a tail that sweeps away a third of the stars of heaven. Uh, What does all that mean? Well, it basically means that this thing is powerful. This thing carries a lot of power. I mean, if you have a tail that sweeps away a third of the stars of heaven, certainly it's a symbol of great, great power. And that's what it is. This dragon, this sinister figure is extremely powerful. What is this thing? What is this dragon? Well, the Bible uh, in, interprets itself. If you keep reading in the, in the book of Revelation, uh, in, in this same chapter, we see what the dragon is. The dragon is none other than Satan. The dragon is none other than the devil. The Revelation 12 refers to the devil as the ancient serpent or the serpent of old. Or it also refers to him as the accuser of God's people. In other places in Scripture, it refers to him as the adversary. It refers to him as the enemy. He's the one. The dragon is the one that tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, tempting them to take of the fruit that they they weren't supposed to eat, that sent us on this trajectory of sin and pain and death and suffering. It It was the dragon who accuses Job. You remember that story? The Satan that that the accuser that comes before the presence of God and basically says, you know, the only reason that Job is faithful to you is because you put a shield around him. It's because you put a hedge around him and you protect him. As soon as you take that shield away, he's going to spit in your face. He's going to curse you. The dragon is the one that stands against God's people in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and tempts David to rebel against God. This figure, this dragon, this Satan, very real figure, Satan is powerful. You can't see him 
We can't see Satan. We can't see the devil. But we can see his influence in the world. You don't have to look too long and you don't have to look too hard to see the catastrophic influence that this dragon exerts into the world. We see it everywhere, and it affects God's people. And this, and this dragon, it stands against, he stands against the purposes of God. At every turn, he tries to thwart the purposes of God. That's what we see within the text. Look with me in the, last, in the, in the later part of verse 4. In the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, this is what the dragon's trying to do, he might devour the child. He might devour her child. This tells us that the dragon hates the woman. The dragon hates God's people. The dragon is opposed to the people of God, seeking to devour them. Not only does the dragon hate God's people, but the dragon hates the child. The dragon hates the Messiah. The dragon tries to thwart the purposes of God by devouring this child. He doesn't want the child to succeed. He wants the child to completely fail and to kill him and to render him powerless so that the dragon may exert his power and his authority over that of the child. He doesn't want God's purposes to succeed. And he doesn't want you to succeed either because the dragon hates you. He hates you. He's against you. He accuses you. He tries to discredit you before God. To the, spirit, to, the, to the unspiritual person, the one who doesn't chase after God, he tries to hinder them from seeing the weight of their own sin and drawing to the Savior leading to salvation. To the spiritual person, the dragon tries to hinder them from seeing the weight of God's mercy so that they live in constant doubt and fear and dread and uncertainty about this God that they worship and serve. This dragon hates the child. He hates the child. This dragon, he hates the woman. He hates God's people. This dragon, he hates you. He's against you. He accuses you. He tries to discredit you before God. However, the good news, the blessed gospel, is that this dragon, even though that he's powerful, even though that he exerts a mighty influence in the world, he doesn't win. He loses. He loses. Look with me in verse 5. And she, the woman, gave birth to a son. She gave birth to a son. Even though the dragon tried to devour the child. But she gives birth. The dragon, the dragon loses. The dragon is losing. 
If you keep reading in the, in, in the chapter, in the second half of verse 12, it says, Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great wrath. And pay attention to this. Knowing that he has only a short time. Knowing, the devil knows that he only has a short time. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that Satan doesn't rage on earth because he's so powerful. Satan rages on earth because he's wounded. Satan rages on earth because he's desperate. And that's what John's original readers are intended to see. We see that the Spirit, the Spirit wants John's original readers of this revelation to see that there is much more going on than what they can see. They're experiencing persecution. They're suffering. It kind of looks like living in a world that where the dragon lives, it kind of looks like the dragon's winning, doesn't it? It looks like the dragon is using his power to thwart the purposes of God, and God is rendered powerless. That's what it looked like to John's original readers as they experienced suffering and persecution. It looks like the dragon is winning. It looks like evil is winning. But it's not the dragon. Evil, it's not winning. It's losing. The dragon is losing. The dragon has lost He knows that he just has a short time upon the earth. And he's like this wounded animal, this wounded, desperate animal trying to inflict as much damage and destruction that he can before his inevitable demise. And this message that John wants to get across through his revelation, it's a message of hope. It's a message of hope that even though the dragon is powerful, even though that he exerts a mighty influence in the world, he's lost and he is losing. It's a message of hope for John's original readers and it's a message of hope for us today. And you know, as we live in this world, uh, it's quite frankly very discouraging. I'm I'm discouraged quite often uh, when I look around and see uh, so many, so many horrible things so many people who don't care about God at all or following His ways or, 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 or becoming like, like Him, uh, the atrocities that are committed at the hands of evil and wicked men seem to never end, seem to be ongoing and going and going and going. And it makes us, as God's people, seem like there's no hope. <laughs> it makes us seem like It makes it seem like the dragon's winning. It makes it seem like evil is prevailing. It makes it seem like evil is winning and is and is coming out and is coming out on top. And and that's kind of a discouragement that sometimes I sense from God's people. Uh, I feel it as well. Sometimes I, I I feel like, you know, we're we're this we're we're just discouraged all the time. Because we look at the world around us and we see the, the, the horrible things in it. And, 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 and like John's original readers, it can seem like, you know, this, what's, 
what's God going to do next? I mean, it seems hopeless. It seems like the dragon has won. But here's truth, something that you can't see, but is 100% true and 100% real, is that if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are trusting in Him, if you're surrendering to Him, if you're following Him, if you're being who He wants you to be, you're not losing. You're winning. You are on the winning side. Even though it seems like the world is crumbling down around you, even though it seems like evil is prevailing and the dragon is winning, he's not. He has been defeated and he is losing. He's like a wounded animal that knows he just has a short amount of time before he will be done away with forever. If you're on Jesus' side, you are on the winning side. If you are trusting in Him, you are victorious. Notice with me the next passage in verse 5. And she gave birth to a son, a male, who is, he is, he is going to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to His throne. Our, our late brother, James Burton Kaufman, said this about this passage. The whole biography of the earthly life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God is here compressed into this one verse. You see through this passage the ministry of Jesus Christ, quoting Psalm 2. The child... Jesus prevails. He prevails over the dragon and he defeats him. Notice what, with me what it says in the text. The child, he's going to rule all the nations. He's going to rule all the nations. Literally in Greek, that's shepherds. He's going to shepherd like a, ten, like, like, like a tender shepherd over his, over, his, over his flock, over his sheep. He's going to shepherd the nations with a staff of iron. He's the powerful one. The child is the powerful one. It seems like the dragon is the powerful one. It seems like the dragon has more power and exerts his power and influence into the world. But in reality, it's the child who rules and shepherds with a staff, with a rod of iron who's more powerful than the dragon and is defeating him. And, and, and how amazing it is, how amazing God's scheme of redemption is that a little baby boy who was laid in a manger prevails and wins and conquers over this powerful serpent of old, uh, the, the ancient serpent, the accuser of God's people. Notice with me a couple verses later in verse 10. Of chapter 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their own life, even when faced with death. 
For this reason, rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. The child wins. The child prevails. The child defeats the dragon. The child was, as the text says in verse 5, caught up to God. The child ascended on high, on high after his death and burial and resurrection and now sits, he's seated at the right hand of God, interceding and mediating for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. He wins over the power of the dragon. So regardless of what you can see around you, regardless of what you can see, Jesus wins. The child wins. And if you're on his side, then you win too. Notice lastly with me in verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. As I said before, most commentators say that the, the woman, God's people, Israel, is, is God's people of, of both covenants, uh, the old covenant and the new covenant. Uh, the, the church, spiritual Israel, as Paul alludes to in, in the New Testament. The church has fled into the wilderness. We're still living in a world where the dragon lives. We're still living in a world where evil is pervasive and is alive and it's, and, 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 and it's increasing. But, as this text says, what, does, what, what happens to the woman? The woman is nourished. The woman is nourished by implication God. God nourishes the woman because of the dragon. God takes care of his people. Even while we live in this world where the dragon still has an influence and is like a roaring lion, a roaring wounded lion seeking whom he may devour, if you're in Christ and you're surrendering to him, God takes care of his people and doesn't allow His people to be overcome when they are trusting in Him. What hope, church. What hope. What a message of hope and grace that we have through this text. So as we conclude, what's, what's the lesson? What is this, what's the main point? What is this trying to teach us? Here it is. Focus on truth, not what is seen. Focus on truth, not what is seen. Things are happening all around you that you can't, that you can't see. Things that are 100% real. Focus on those things. Not what is seen. Here's what is true. Here's what is 100% real. The dragon is powerful. And make no mistake, if you leave Jesus or see something as more valuable than Him, you are prone to the dragon's attacks. Make no mistake about it. The dragon is powerful. And he's seeking to devour you. That's real. That's true. Focus on that. He's trying to devour you. However, this dragon is losing. He has lost the child wins the day. The child is more powerful than the dragon. And the child shepherds God's people when they trust in Him, when they live in Him. 
They shepherd, he, he, the child shepherds God's people with a rod, with a staff of iron, symbolizing his power. He is more powerful than the dragon. And the truth is, is that Jesus wins, not the dragon. And if you're on his side, if you're trusting in him and surrendering to him, then you win as well. Church, focus on these things, not what is seen. And you'll be filled with motivation and encouragement and hope to keep pursuing the cause of Jesus Christ every single day. If anyone has need, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing.